Wow, what a difference. The Talkbuster Podcast. Hi, I'm Chris Chipman. You may remember me from such podcasts as the Chipman Brothers Tangent and Creating Geeks, a parenting podcast of great responsibility. I'm here to bring you back to the late 90s, early 2000s, a time of AMRAs and clamshells, a time of late fees and VHS tapes being replaced by DVDs, a time of stale gumballs and overpriced candy. Yes, that's right. I am talking about the time of blockbuster video, the Walmart of the video rental industry, the mom and pop video store killer, the corporate big choice video store that everybody loved to hate. Blockbuster is mostly gone now. Kids today will never know the crazy Friday and Saturday nights with lines wrapped around the store to rent the next big movie. No more will regulars who are in the know arrive at 10 a.m. on Tuesdays to snatch up the new rentals that week before the weekend rush. Most of all, no longer will young movie geeks like myself have the memories I, and many others like me, made while working there. You see, under all of the corporate evil and bad practices, Blockbuster was a home, a comfort, a place where I made lifelong friends and even met my wife. It is because of these memories that I, and I'm sure many of you, have that the Talkbuster podcast was created, a place for me and others to share our memories of what once was, of the before time, of the long, long ago. I'm looking forward to see where this goes, how it evolves. Join me, won't you? All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Talkbuster podcast. This is your host, Chris Chipman, a.k.a. The Chippa. And before I get into my very special guest, I'd like to thank my $15 or more a month patrons. They are Mason Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, QK Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin CV, Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, Mark Price, and Collaborating Online. And I'd like to thank my newest patron, Sean Zoltek. This episode is brought to you by the Salem Horror Fest, which takes place every year in Salem, Massachusetts and has been expanding into virtual screenings of films, one of which um, was a film called Mass Hysteria that Salem Horror Fest was nice enough to allow me to get an early view at, and you can find that review um, on this podcast feed. And that brings me to today's guest, Kay Lynch. Good person. Please introduce yourself to the world. Hello. Thank you, Chris. And hello, everyone out there. um, I'm Kay Lynch, and I'm the director of Salem Horror Fest. And um, Kay, you have a uh, an awesome connection with me because you too also worked at Blockbuster Video. So all of these connections, I worked at Blockbuster in Salem. You have a horror fest in Salem, and we have that same thing tying us together. And you know, it, it's amazing when you run a Blockbuster or video store themed podcast. It's still hard to find people that are just obsessed with horror to put on these things, even though that's like my biggest memory of video stores was the horror section oh that's interesting yeah because that's that's what i think of most i mean i am surrounded by horror fans so i definitely have a skewed (laughs) uh perception but it's you know when i hear about the nostalgia for uh you know video rental it's usually almost always through the lens of horror yeah so um you know Exactly. And so I think it's because a lot of the people I get are from Blockbuster and they have, you know, that is a very many layered, like you get older conservative middle America is a big part of Blockbuster, right? It was that, you know, family view of things that, you know, um, they still had a horror section. I mean, you could still, you could still get, you know, Slumber Party Massacre, you know, at, at Blockbuster. It's just, you know, can't have any of those nude people, can't have any of that. 
uh, <laughs> which is always a strange skew in, in this country anyway. But, um, you know, uh, so what's your video store story? Like what, um, what brought you to Blockbuster? Uh, well, uh, from a very young age, I remember the very first video rental store that I went to was a mom and pop um, in Salem, New Hampshire. I wish I remembered what it was called, but it was, you know, just pretty new. And uh, it was kind of one of those renegade stores. There was just a pretty small room, but they, you know, floor to ceiling, all these VHS tapes. They had some video games and, and uh, video game systems that you could you could rent and um i remember at, at that time my dad was doing most of the uh selection <laughs> so um and he did pretty good i don't uh, i forget a lot of the titles but i remember he was always you know trying to find some of the, like the weirder more independent stuff um one memory that i have very clearly or one one memory or image that stuck with me to this day was the VHS cover for Ruthless People with Bette Mil oh. Miller and Danny DeVito. It's like bright pink and they're wearing like duck masks, like Donald Duck masks. Yeah. And I just, that image was so striking to me. I was, you know, obviously too young to see it then, but I was always so curious that, you know, cause I'm just going off of the Donald Duck faces. And I'm like, what is this movie about? Uh, and why can't I rent it? <laughs> but, um, but uh, that, the, the uh, Garbage Pail Kids, I remember that very fondly oh, too. Yes. A, a move, movie that looks really interesting, but couldn't rent, you know, couldn't see it at the time. Um, uh, one movie that we were able to get, I was able to get away with, and then my parents <laughs> later regretted was The Adventures of Babysitting. Uh, <laughs> they oh, thought, another fantastic one! Yeah, love love that movie. But they they were it was a little more adult than than they were expecting, um, or at least that you know don't fuck with the babysitter. Um, they were like, oh, maybe this wasn't the one. Uh, and then rented video games like you know it was the NES age, so um, you know Battletoads, and uh, before I owned Change Mutant Ninja Turtles, I, you know I rented it from there. Um, but eventually we got a video update, and um, you know that was much bigger and had an insane selection. It was just so vast, uh, and I remember just browsing the halls. You know it was it was right near my high school. Um, so I was able to, you know, just head over there um, after class. Uh, I don't know. I just I, I think back on, on those days fondly. One of my favorite things was to look at the um, what do you call it? The coming attractions, and we'd have yes. like the light the light box, those like slivers of the you know of the movies that are coming, um, and the you know the the release windows. Then it's it's really crazy to think now is that you know it could, it could be like seven months to a year from a movie going from theaters to to home video um and so you would just be chomping at the bit like wondering what's coming what's coming what's coming and then every single week just like you know one two three new slivers of titles that that you get to look forward to um yeah that i love was... that that supply and demand anticipation that has just gone completely out the window, right? They, everybody needs everything immediate it's, or we'll forget about it because something else will come out. That's so much like it, that we'll forget about the thing before it. And, you know, thinking back, like Steven Spielberg and George Lucas didn't even put their self on video. They'd bring it out for rental, 
but they never brought it out to buy. I remember like Jurassic Park being the first one that like the first Spielberg movie that within a year was out and it was such a big deal. Um, you know, how nuts is that? Huge. Yeah. I saw that. I remember seeing that one in theaters. I think it was like Father's Day weekend. Uh, and that was just transformative. Oh my God. How much I love that movie. And it's funny. You mentioned the, the ruthless people cover. I, I think cover art has, it's not that it's gone away. Like, you know, the, the, the Marvel movies and, and things of that are always still into doing pretty interesting looking cover box art, but there's something about that. Like, like late seventies, eighties and nineties cover box art. That, like even on big movies would try to be weird and obscure. The whole point was for it to be unique. So when you walked along a wall, it would draw you in, not, Oh look, there's just 80 movies all with Tom Cruise's face on them. It's like, Oh no, here's something weird. You know, here, here's something. I mean, like you think about the poster work for a movie mm-hmm. like alien, just the alien egg. And that's oh, yeah. it. It's like, well, what is this? You know what I mean? But, and, and I, you know, you think about a, a sections like the horror section and w- which is something near and dear to both you and I, they really went out of their way to make that be a draw specifically. So when you're walking in a sea of a thousand different things that you see something that looks unique and, you know, even though the world kind of tries to say, you know, oh, well, no, an R-rated movie, they're not trying to market it to kids. Of course, you're trying to get those eyes. You're trying to get the the person that's on the cusp of growing up to see, you know, something a little seedy or something a little weird or something a little wrong and draw them in. And, it, hey, I think we're very well um, adjusted human beings. <laughs> <laughs> All the better for it. Yes, exactly. But, I mean, do, do you have the same experience like that? Yeah, I miss it very much. I mean, you know, you would have the the variety and designs of of how you know they, they would they would do these you know do the cover art is, um, you know, photographs or stills to you know just setting something up physically in a studio um, to illustrations with all different kinds of illust- style of illustrations. The um, box itself would be varied. You'd have clamshell. You'd have you know, the white VHS and different kinds of clamshells, different <laughs> tones of, um, you know, uh, bo- boxes, period. So, you know, you look, you know, later on you get the Blockbuster and everything's like uniformed um, and, and facing out. But if, you know, being a video update and everything, you're looking at all the spines, none of them are like lining up. <laughs> properly. Of course. They're all different. They're all different sizes. All you know, they're all worn to different levels of degradation. Um and uh yeah, I, I truly, you know, you could just get lost. Did you know that the uniformity thing with Blockbuster, they were also the first video store that, that that set them aside from um all of the other mum and pops, even like the bigger chains. They were the very first one to allow the videos out from behind the counter. Because videos were so um, high, uh, they, they were a high amount of money because the way it worked with the VHS, this, they stopped this with DVD, but with VHS, you'd lease it from the production company. And this is why Blockbuster got so many is because they were owned by Viacom and Viacom owned like four production companies. So they yeah. could give a deal to Blockbuster if they bought in bulk, where the mom and pop would have to spend $200 for a single copy of Romancing the Stone and Blockbuster could just feel, fill the shelves. Um, and so because of that, 
they had to keep it under like lock and key the way that other video stores would do, you know, the um, video games and things. And so there was something you couldn't even touch the cassette you were renting. I remember uh, there was a video store um, in Peabody um, on 114, right? I think it's a gym now. It's right next to the uh, um, uh, expensive car, BMW place. And it used to be a video store and I forget the name, but I remember my father bringing us there when we were like three or four and I can still smell the smell of the full lever, leather clamshells that those movies oh, uh, came in. Yeah. And then, you know like, what the I'm talking styro- about? The, the styrofoam inserts. And, yep. Uh, what else? Then, you know, there are these boxes, you know, just cardboard in there and the, the, the uh, shrink wrap. <laughs> yep. Oh, God, the shrink wrap. Oh, man. So much yeah, shrink so, wrap. <laughs> so much shrink wrap. And then you'd end up, like, shrink wrapping your hand and then realizing that's a bad idea. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember that smell, that, like, Oh, that burning plastic smell. Perfectly healthy. No mesothelioma yeah. for us. <laughs> yeah. No, or um, arthritis. I remember, you know, being oh. in high school being like, I'm going to get arthritis removing and closing all of these. Yes. Oh, my God. I actually do have early onset arthritis. That's probably why. Blockbuster. Hooray. <laughs> Blockbuster. God damn you, Blockbuster. No. Um, so, uh, you know, so you said you were in Salem, New Hampshire, and you said that you you were working at a market basket well um or in, the, in new hampshire the, i'm just thinking yeah. i know the area there was there was a demoulis and a market basket on the same street uh, even though it's the same family because there was like that the rivalry there i always yeah. found that funny <laughs> yeah they're they're uh a very interesting family um but uh the mom and pop store was was in salem or it might have just been on you know your way to salem from like hampstead area i lived in east Derry, um and so the video update would was in downtown Derry near my high school and the blockbuster was in london Derry, um where the market basket was very cool um so yeah so then you were at market basket and you got your you got to finally work at a video rental store. Yes, I was so excited. <laughs> so yeah, I so remember, what? So yeah, go ahead. What, what were those years you said again? Uh, Ninety-eight to two thousand one, and then I worked one year in two thousand six. Awesome. Yeah, one of my earliest memories from working there. Um, well, I guess it couldn't have been the earliest because it was this is winter time, and I started working in the summer. But one of my fondest memories is uh, I, I was working a shift, and I was tasked to rearrange the PVTs, which yes. my favorite thing. <laughs> and um, and it was snowing, and it got really bad, so I couldn't actually leave. <laughs> no one could leave. Um, and so I just got to spend hours upon hours just going through all the PVT tapes, alphabetizing them and taking my sweet ass time. Um, but that was always my favorite thing about uh, working at Blockbuster was organizing, you know, putting out the the new releases on the wall, um, you know, putting them, you know, taking taking the older stuff from the wall and putting it into the, the center of the store, all the previously viewed tapes and DVDs. It's alphabetizing, organizing, shifting, making making space, and really just sneaking in a ton of time to like read and read the back of the boxes and you know just 
discover new films and um, I think that's why I'm such a letterboxed addict now because I'm like this yes. app is basically like designed and built for the people who used to put out the new releases because um, it's all just about uh, or or and or you know organizing any of the films because it's all just about film organization and you just get to look at the pretty cover art. Right, exactly, and it, it it was the best time because you'd go through it, and I'd never go through that task without buying at least two or three movies. Right, so oh, it's like yeah. holy crap, we had this. Oh, I need yeah. it. Um, I put this aside before anyone else gets it. <laughs> right, and um, you, you know, and there is something to be said, you know, about why things that are still hanging on, like you know, you have your Fangorias and your Rue Morgs of the world. It, they follow that same thing of like I just need to I I need to see snippets and clips and hear something so I can use my imagination to fill in the rest and that gets you excited to see something and take it. I think something that's big and missing is that lack of anticipation. Uh, and when you're a fan of something, you know you you want it to be good. You have like hope. It's like okay, I read this article with the. Um, director of something in in a magazine, in, in Fangoria, for example, and I can't wait for my store to get it in so I can check it out. And yeah. there's far less of that now um, of the the anticipation of it. And I think, you know, back to, you know, what you do now, you, you talk, how long has the Horror Fest been going on again? Is it is it four years, five years? This will be its fourth year. And, you know, you think about, like, how quick does those last four years of doing that feel like they've gone by? But Blockbuster, you were there three years. I think back to my time at Blockbuster, seems like it was like 30 years of my life, all of oh, these memories. Yeah. Because there's a there's a mentality shift, and, and I, it, part of it's growing up, I guess, and part of it is, you know, just time is a lot more precious now. You know, you had a lot more time to spend just like soaking stuff in. But... I feel like some people that listen to this show and hear us get enthusiastic about video rental in general, you know, there's there's a few things that are very common and similar that I think people missed out on. Like, right, it's very similar to going and hanging out at a comic shop. You don't go to a comic shop just to buy a product. I'm not here just to get this issue with this comic and leave. You're here to browse. You're there to look at everything. You have a camaraderie with the employees. And Blockbuster somehow, even though it was a corporate entity, found a way to still harness that. Oh, yeah. They well, because it, att it attracted all the film geeks. Even yeah. you know, anyone who wanted to work up. I never worked with anyone at a Blockbuster, even when I would like take shifts at other locations. Every single person was still a film fanatic. Uh, so it's just that energy. Even if there was no one in the store, you could have plenty to talk about um you know usually about the movies uh but it, you know to be surrounded by that energy and then of course everyone coming into the store um you know they're 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 from like you know just casual renters or trying to get something for the kids or for, you know family night to the hardcore people that would come in you know every week and leave with a stack of eight films and then they would you know ask what's good, what you recommend. And of course, every single person who works there has a different set of recommendations. Um, it's just it's just so vast. I was telling someone the other day uh, how wonderful it would be to still be working at a Blockbuster now just to uh, recommend Mandy to people. Oh, yeah. 
Because you know we would have got a bunch of that. That's the kind of yeah. movie that like Blockbuster would have just seen the names attached and been like, oh, yeah, hawk this thing. And then you'd be like, oh, I cannot wait for this person to just be completely broken by Mandy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And I'm being jealous, jealous of, of people to be able to experience some of these movies for the first time. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, now, you said 98 to 2001. So you were there when we started getting the entertainment weeklies in that we're talking about the making of the Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah. And how fun must it have been? Like I was the one of like two people in my store that knew what Peter Jackson did before Lord of the Rings. So it was <laughs> great to try to be like, Oh, Oh, come here. I have, a, I have a tale to tell you. <laughs> yeah. And just thinking about like what's about to be unleashed on the world. Like, wow. The, you know, the mainstream audience has no idea what this is. And Peter Jackson is what is filmed three back to back. made. I don't think that was really, I mean, I'm sh- uh, Clearly, it was like the first really big example of doing that. But I I can't think of any example before that. Yeah, they they all kind of happened close together. I don't know if he was before or after. So the three big ones, he may have been the one that set the president because it was that. It was the two sequels to Pirates of the Caribbean and the two two Matrix sequels are the three that I really recall. And I think he was the first. I think he was the first to the gate. I think so, too. And when you think about how much money they spent and how involved that production is, it's really incredible that they even did that. I mean, they saved money in the long run, but still, it was sort of an untested property uh, as far as film goes. And so they really had to have believed in, 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 in not only the story and the legacy of Lord of the Rings, but also Peter Jackson's vision. And it was a good investment, that's for sure. I wonder how many people on the production team had seen Meet the Feebles or saw it after and went, oh, God, what have we done? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, too. <laughs> I mean, even the exact, you know, anyone involved with green lighting it, like what, you know, he you know, did, um, what was that, uh, Heavenly Creatures? That's yes. know, a little more, a little more sophisticated in comparison. Uh, yeah, it's, it still has, you know, clay people and, you know, horrifying murder and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the entire subplot of that movie. I, you know, speaking of heavenly creatures, how wonderful of a person Peter Jackson seems to be is that was based on a true story. And the true story of the two women that, you know, that, that it was about, you know, there's a murder that happens in this film, right? Um, they went into hiding and Peter Jackson was always big on like, I'm not doing commentaries for any of this. You know, I want this movie to stand on its own. And because of his film, someone ended up finding one of the two girls and like showing her whereabouts. And it's not like she was in trouble. Like they had been exonerated and all that, but it just got like the news back on her. And so he was basically like, you know what? Um, No more editions of this. And he basically just kind of let the movie kind of die out a little bit, just out of respect of like, you know, I want, and you got to give the guy credit because not a lot of, not a lot of film, they go, well, you know, it's my vision and yada, 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 you know, like the people that, uh, beaten to the ground tragedy and stuff like that to make a buck and it was cool to see him have a about face with that oh yeah well so where i went to high school or there's this apartment complex um that was just kind of like on the edge of the campus and the um pam's pamela smart lived there and then you know that's the movie to die for later became 
Um, oh. <laughs> so that, um, yeah. I forget. She must have been in must have been in jail right now but i mean you know she, she did not she was not afforded any privacy after that that's for sure wow yeah i forgot how local that was <laughs> yeah yeah it was like literally you could see the apartment i don't know which which unit she lived in or which building but you could you could have seen the apartment complex from from our high school so did you guys um you said you know everyone you worked with pretty big film geek did you guys have a uh, a good camaraderie there was it like a, a group of people you could hang out with outside the store or was it you know more of oh we kind of kept to our own but when we were together we were you know got along yeah there's only one person that i really remember um his name was matt and he was uh he was a manager not the he was like the, uh, an assistant manager i forget the hierarchy there was like a shift leader then there was like a manager above that and then the store manager he was in between um and he was you know maybe five years older than me and so and he was really cool in punk rock and he was the one who really kind of pointed me in the right direction because you know i was eating it all up i was a, definitely uh, a cinematic omnivore um, you know, I hosted movie nights with with my uh, theater friends in high school. Um, so I've been I've been programming <laughs> for for a long time um, because that was that was our main thing is we get together and watch films and they'd be like, oh, <laughs> what the fuck is he bringing to us today? Um, yes. But uh, but when I started working at Blockbuster and, and working for Matt, that's he was the one who got me into the weirder, lesser known things, some more cult. Uh, cult films and uh, I always appreciated that because I think that's it's kind of like in in uh, film circles you know you, there's sort of this like mentorship this sort of like big brother mentality yep. that um, comes with recommending films because once you get to know someone's sensibility and interests and sort of like film kinks of like you know the weird little things that they latch on to you know that that opens up an avenue to go oh well then you've got to see this and um you know he he brought me down you know down down those little pathways and, and i'm very thankful for that that's awesome it, it takes it takes a comfort one with with yourself to to be because because film film like you said especially the 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 cult and the CD or underbelly movies, you know, it, it can come with it, especially the older ones, a lot of baggage. And you got to learn somebody and learn what they're comfortable with to be able to recommend something because you you don't want to break that trust, right? You don't want to go, oh, well, I kind of guessed, you know, that this guy would be into this. And then they, you know, have a completely just bad trip, you know, with a movie and then are like completely weirded out by you after that. Um, but yeah, at the same you'll, time, you'll, that's... You'll, but, but it's part of the fun because you want to weird them out a little bit. Like you want to know like how far can I pull this, you know, and how far can I, can I learn and help this other guy, you know, this other, you know, woman or whatever, learn, you know, what their, uh, like you said, their film kinks, the things that like, really it's like, Oh, you know, in, in real life, I'm a pretty normal kind of guy, but Oh man, I really like this weird shit. Show me more of this. Yeah. You, you know, that's such a cool um, thing. My you 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 know uh, Tim Luz um, from Cinema Spectrum yeah. very well. I'm sure he was uh, him and my him and my brother were my that guy. Um, oh really? Yeah, I worked with Tim for 
my entire time at Blockbuster. Yeah. No way. Now, was this the one in Vinnin Square? Um, so I worked in, so our Blockbuster that I worked with Tim at was on Trader's Way in the Shaw's Plaza on Highland Avenue. But then I went to the one in Vinnin Square and I went to the one in Woburn and I went to the one in Peabody and the, but um, Trader's Way and Vinnin Square were our two main Blockbusters. Where, um, or when was the last, when did the one on Highland Ave close? Highland Ave was 2011, 2012. Wow, okay, so that was about uh, just a few a few years before I moved here, a couple years. And, and Vinnin Square, I think, was 2014. I think the Vinnin Square one stayed open a couple of years later. Yeah, I remember, uh, I, I used to have, what was the movie pass? I was yes. And <laughs> so I would go in there. So we, I, we probably crossed paths. Oh, no, absolutely. And like I said before, you know, when, when Tim had you on their show originally, I was like, Kate Lynch is like, I know he's, oh no, he's, he showed me all these pictures. He goes, you've talked to him. These are all of his different costs. Oh yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> like, <it's just> like, <laughs> I've, I've only, I had only met you up to that point that I knew of in costume. So it was like, oh, all right. Oh, that's so funny. Cause my uh, sister was like, oh, the white Walker. And I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Because my sister lives in um, uh, right down near downtown Salem as well. She works at the PEM. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, I wish there was. Uh, what's the website? There's a website called is it Cinema Treasures or something? But it like oh. archives all the movie houses throughout history. Um, you know, from just like contemporary all the way back to you know, you know early 1900s, but. I wish there was a website that cataloged, um, you know, all the video rental stores. I would love to see what, you know, Blockbuster and Highland look like from, you know, like if we had Google, um, Google Maps then. You know, and that's uh, the craziest thing, right, is you'd think you'd be able to turn up these photos. Like I sit back and go, oh, I must have a ton of photos from when I worked at Blockbuster. And then it's like, no, I still had a friggin Nokia phone with snake on it. No one was taking pictures then. <laughs> You know what I mean? No. And Blockbuster and Blockbuster didn't allow photos. Like if you were in the store and a customer tried, like they were like outwardly, like get that camera out of here. Like That's you know, right. it was yeah. very different. I was surrounded by IP. Um, when I was working there in high school, I, it it's just great. Like it's amazing to me not having a phone. <laughs> like, right. Uh, you know, so uh, there was nothing else to do during slow time but to look at and talk about movies. I loved getting those boxes in on Tuesday and finding out what came in. I remember two movies that I had been following from reading about them in magazines was Donnie Darko and Session 9. Oh, and yeah. We got them both in in the same shipment. And man, like the every employee had them out. It's just like, we got to oh, see these. That became like the big deal like uh, yeah. at the time. I remember that. Um, one of my... Uh, another one of my favorite things that goes along with the, you know, organizing the BBT tapes, yes, or putting yes. the new releases, is the file cabinet in the back room of all of the VHS, the flattened VHS covers and the DVD inserts. Yes. Yeah, that was like a physical IMDb. I would, my mind would just be blown because often when I would go through there, there would be stuff in there that I don't, you know, that had been there years ago. 
that are still archived in the back room and being like, we had this film, what happened to the film? Oh, we threw it out because for some reason you, you had to throw away <laughs> tapes and DVDs. That always broke my heart. I'm like, let's just take them out. No, you can't take them out. They have to be smashed and thrown away. What a waste. Yeah, it was very nice the day that we got to destroy all the Blair Witch 2 copies, though. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that movie was so bad <laughs> yeah i saw that so in addition to you know always being at the the, the video rental store and and um working working at one you know, i would go to the movies all the time um, yes. there's a cinema not too far and uh from the blockbuster that i worked at and you know i remember i remember seeing blair witch both both Blair witches there yeah, so that was, that's the other thing, right, is I have vivid memories of those short years I worked there of going to the movies constantly. It's like you'd think you'd want to get away from it, but it's like working there just made me want to see more. It oh, was yeah. Weird. And there yeah, was so, I, that, was a, that was a great time for movies, 98 you know, to like 2004. The faculty, American yes. uh, Final Destination. Um yeah, it was kind of the, the end of the, the slasher craze. So uh, two years two years before I was old enough to work for Blockbuster, I uh, was transitioning between schools. I, I was in a Catholic school, which um, I don't recommend to anybody. Um, <laughs> and uh, it, it just, it was bad. Um, and you don't realize how much you're being subverted, no, no matter what your interests or or. It, it just there's so much subversion of learning about yourself that, that comes with with that and i had this big transition where i got out got into public school and was going to get to go to school with all the kids i knew outside of school and the first day of summer vacation between those two years i broke my knee oh and so and it was a full leg cast like butt to ankle right oh and my so God. my mother who felt terrible and all I could, it was straight out. So I had to, um, I could sit in the back of her minivan. So she decided that every Friday night we'd see a double feature. And she took me to every big movie that came out that summer. That summer was the summer of Final Destination, Sixth Sense, <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. um, uh, Pitch Black, um, Deep Blue Sea, uh, you know, um, uh, Lake Placid. There were just so many wonderfully great and cheesy and she and my mom soaks up horror movies so she's been she's the one that got me into stephen king you know so she oh. <laughs> it's just it's so good uh that's so yeah awesome. you know, that's awesome that you got to share that with, with someone oh yeah and that 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 is really the that was the the turning point right where because you know i grew up with my brother the the film freak film fanatic who's you know now a, a film critic because he's been doing it so long and I was, you know, casually soaking them up through him. And then that summer just turned me into, no, this literally saved my, my brain. Like without this, I would have gone insane. You know, I wouldn't have been able to do anything, go anywhere, see anyone, <laughs> you know? Same. I was, oh, I like practically lived there and then in high school, I would skip school to go yes. to the, the cinema by myself. And I would just watch movies the entire day. I would hop, you know, I'd get out of one movie because it was always really quiet during the school days. <laughs> well, for obvious reasons, it was very, you know, so it was very, you know, casual and easy to, you know, see one movie and, and walk into another. And I would see three to four movies in a day. 
that's and again these this is what i'm talking about right the, this this show is more than just about blockbuster it's an era it's an era and a lot of us you know you, you i like having people that haven't lived through it on just to explain to them like that are just movie fans that want to talk but someone that was right there at that like like 1993 1994 to like 2008 window of time oh it, you know that, that it's just it can't be it can't it'll never be replicated i i no. want to see I, I because media doesn't want it to be right everything's just very different now Digital. so um yeah, so there, were, again, there, there were films, there were, there were movie plexes for you know a long time. There was you know the drive-in movies, which is an experience yes. that, that we missed out on, or, or at least I missed out on. But then you know, and, and matinees and everything. So that that was kind of before. But but the video rental sort of phenomenon didn't happen until the eighties. Yes. They, you know, so it only you know it had twenty to thirty year sort of lifespan, um, and you know we could be. You know, yeah, AMC could be looked at as like blockbuster one day. <laughs> We're like, wow, people used to go into a physical place to watch movies. It's so close to happening, and and I think this is very unfortunate. But it, it's so close to happening with AMC is now picking fights with the uh, with the digital distribution. I don't know if you've heard about that. Uh, with yeah, because like you, yeah, I think uh, I, there was some. Beef. They said they were going to ban Universal because they were like, yeah. "Oh, we might just stick to this." And they were like, "Oh, well, you'll never." Yeah, be able it was. To... It's weird because like half of my brain goes, "Okay, I get it, right?" AMC has has you know deals with companies that this is the only place you can go to see this movie, right? I get it. You know what I mean? This is all competition and everything. But yeah, Universal released Trolls World Tour. It was the first movie to get released straight to VOD that was supposed to come out in theaters at the beginning of the pandemic. And they did like $120 million in video on demand sales in their first weekend. And they were like, wow, this is double what we expected to make in the regular theater. We're thinking that maybe when theaters come back to life, we're just going to dual open and do half video. And, yeah. and AMC was like, fine, have fun never releasing a movie in our theater ever again, Universal. And it's just like, whoa! Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's crazy. They, I mean, AMC is not, not doing hot. I mean, they, they, they've been trying. They've been trying to make the experience a lot more like it used to be, a lot more personable and less like a McDonald's that just wants to shoot you in and shoot you out. Um, but I had the A-list pass, and I was loving it. I, yeah, you know, me too. It it was a really good experience. You know, that would go. I would go to my Zumba class on Tuesdays every Tuesday. You know, I go three times a week, but Tuesday was my like every, my ritual. And uh, you know, weeknights were really quiet at the at the AMC in Danvers, and it was just like really peaceful. Um, and with the past, you could just you know go see everything, and it's a shame because I was like, yeah, I could. This this is a great experience, and then the pandemic happened. Yeah, and I think your and I's AMC is the same one, right? That Danvers AMC. I uh, yeah, I was there the day they opened. I was there the day they opened. The first movie I saw at the Danvers AMC was Virus with Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, what a uh, movie that is! I just rewatched that recently. Yeah, I really love bad. it to death. It's so bad though. <laughs> it's 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 crazy. The um... oh shit, what's his name? Um... Oh, not McDowell, not McDowell. 
No. Is he one uh, of the big deals? Sutherland. Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland. Yeah, him. I forgot that he like turns into the robot monster. And I was like, well, this was at least interesting to look at and kind of think about crazy it must have been for him to yeah, actually do. The effects, the effects were cool in it. Yeah. <laughs> it was like it was a very much in the, It was very much in the vein. I, I think I watched it. I rewatched it for um, Underwater. So I, was, I yes. watched like Deep Star Six, Leviathan, oh. uh, Virus. What other movies did I watch? Um, I had already I I had already seen Deep Blue Sea fairly recently. Um, but yeah, I was like, all right, we got oh Deep Rising. Um, yep, Deep Rising is a lot better than uh, I, Deep Rising holds up strangely. It's still I mean it was never a good movie, but it's fun. Yeah. I didn't see it when it initially came out. I had only seen it in the last couple of years, and it is really fun. And it's better than all of the other films I just mentioned. Yes. Um, I really I wish that director, Stephen Summers, because he did that in The Mummy back-to-back. And, yeah. the, original, and, and the original Mummy with, with Brendan Fraser is so good. Yeah, and it's really I, I I wish Stephen Summers would have ever made another movie as good as those two because like Van Helsing is a big bloated insane mess of like twenty five good ideas that didn't culminate <laughs> a full one but there's some cool crap in that movie right oh yeah <laughs> I mean Hugh Jackman alone he's always cool but yeah and it was supposed to be the the end of Deep Rising it was there was a stinger yep. in there I don't know what. Yep monster he had in mind for that but uh you know it's a bummer that that there wasn't like a sequel um or a spin-off so so we go from blockbuster you know and you said you you were in salem state so how you had said you know you were always planning things i did the same thing i was a resident advisor in college so the thing that i would do was i did a thing called mystery science theater fox hall where the oh, night cool or the night before finals break day, we'd have a, a day, a break day between class and finals to like give everybody a reset. And the night before I would host an all night movie marathon. Um, and I would, you know, I'd get people in there by showing something that everybody liked, but then like insert like, you know, evil dead or bad taste or um, them or Santa Claus conquers the Martians, you know, or, or whatever into the middle, just to mess with people. Um, but, you know, so I, I share that, that, that like, film programming thing it's just so much fun to introduce people to new stuff and curate like how you want to like um like what order you want to show it to them it's like making like a, a mixtape right it's like you know yeah. and, and i love that but um how did like where did the horror fest come from did that like spawn out of the blockbuster years or like how did you get there well um so i have done theater for most of my life um you know acting in high school i studied acting in new york city for a couple of years and then i started getting into like promotion and production um so i started you know i developed a lot of experience in like putting on shows and that turned into events i had an event company for a few years called go out loud and it was a lgbt organization we just threw all different kinds of parties and ch charity events. Um, we threw uh, a, an event called Scream Out Loud. It was an annual gay party that we hosted at the Hawthorne Hotel, and we'd have. Like, oh, that's awesome! I, I heard of that. Yeah, it was a good time. We had Sharon Needles from you know RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, and so I had a lot of experience putting on events. Um, 
uh, I developed this show, uh, an original midnight rock show called Scary Mary and the Audio Corset. Um, I started putting together short horror showcases. And so I was always kind of, you know, producing events um, and just any reason, any excuse to get people together. And it just sort of came natural where, you know, I, I, I always loved Halloween and, um, you know, loved the Halloween energy in Salem being the, you know, Halloween capital of the world and all. Um, and just one year was like, why isn't there a horror fest <laughs> in Salem? It seems very strange. Um, so I just thought, well, you know, I, I know enough to, to at least try. There was a lot I didn't know about, like, licensing films and um, and, and whatnot. But, uh, you know, we, we we came out of the gate with four weekends of programming. Uh, and it, was it was insane. Great. No money. You know, we didn't have any money to put into it. And it was all just in hoping that, you know, people come. So the pre-sales would come in and then we spend on, you know, the things that we need to get ready and ramp up. Um and uh, thankfully, it, it worked out. Um, the 2016 election was a big catalyst to sort of the, yep, the uh, yeah, to sort of like the mission of the festival. Like obviously, horror in Salem in October is like a no-brainer. Um, but uh, you know, we come at it. You know, our program coming from uh, the viewpoint of horror reflecting society's anxieties um and and how they kind of reveal who we are and what we're you know afraid of and if you look back in time you know the horror movies that were produced in, in those times reveal something about you know what what they were going through at the at the time and so um you know with salem's history um you know we have a lot to atone for and you know, yes. we have to you know have a responsibility to you know remind the world of what can happen when fear runs amok so with all of these sort of things together on um, you know and, and the election happening and just feeling like all you want to do is scream um you know i felt like this would be uh, a more productive way <laughs> for me to to respond and handle all of that and use horror as a catharsis for people to share uh you know their own their own anxieties about about what's going on and i think you know you look at um Obviously, companies rarely ever get political, you know, businesses because they don't want to, you know, turn off a segment of their audience. Right. Um, and, you know, people, uh, individuals are often afraid to speak out because they don't want to, you know, lose their job or impact their job or prevent themselves from a future gig. Um, and so even, you know, people who, who might think one way, you know, won't voice it. Um, and then uh, even recently, I learned how nonprofit organizations could actually uh, risk losing their 503c status if they oh. um, are, are specifically critical to a political candidate. Like they can draw attention to, to issues. Um, but I wasn't aware that they had to be neutral when it came to actual like candidates and politicians. Um, and so I it just got me thinking, I'm like, well, then who? there's no incentive to speak out um and so right. it's, it's, it, it's almost like it's set up that way exactly oh. exactly and so i just felt like well you know what like this is an independent project um i'm in you know everyone needs a catharsis including me to just like scream out into the void this is an opportunity to do that and i think that you know many people don't take horror 
seriously in general um and you know and specifically also as, as a horror festival oh okay that's cute look at all those like horror nerds to having their party that's nice but you know for us to be very vocal when it comes to political issues i think we're able to get away with quite a lot <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm constantly wondering like where's the line here uh but it doesn't seem like people are really that concerned which is good because you know it's not like we pose an actual threat we're just trying to give people that shared catharsis and sort of you know let people know i think w with all with all those factors that prevent people from speaking out um there's this sense of you know watching everything unfold and thinking like Am I crazy? Like, am I? I'm seeing this, right? <laughs> Are other people seeing this? This is not normal. This is, you know, what's going on here. And, and um, you know, I know that I had wished that there were some group organization, people of influence speaking out to the issues that, you know, I'm concerned about. Um, and so and understanding that that, you know, obviously there are celebrities and like Twitter is you know, full of critics <laughs> of, of every stripe. Um, but I think that, you know, it's important for people to, to, um, see their fears justified, uh, and recognized. Right. Know that someone's listening. It doesn't, not everyone doesn't have to, but if, but if you're shut down, if someone's telling you that you're not allowed to be afraid and it still scares you, you there's, it's great that there's somebody out there that says, I'm scared too. I'm scared too. And, and here's, here's a way we can deal with it. Here's a healthy, you know, either through, you know, like quiet protest through just like supporting more directors and stuff like this, or being out there and attending an event to raise money to go strongly against this. Um, and people that try to stifle you, I I've, I've been so proud and, um, honored to you know just be adjacent in like kind of knowing you and the people behind rfs and to get you on here and i'm glad you brought it up because i didn't want to go there if it was you know a sore subject but the way that you very consistently handle um the people that speak out against that it's like yeah well this, this is uh, you know i'm an independent person this is my organization like if you don't like this that i feel this way sorry this is how i feel you know what I mean? So you can keep walking. Right. Yeah. And I, it's, it's very inspiring to have somebody doing something local. And again, also, you know, obviously the people that you deal with can get very disrespectful and there's no way to deal with that than getting disrespectful back. But, you know, for the most of the time, it's just like, no, like I'm, I'm, this is my business. Like you don't have to, like, you don't have to attend, have a nice day. <laughs> And I, yeah, people aren't used to hearing that uh, because, you know, usually you know, an extremely capitalist, you know, country and culture. So the idea of, you know, someone not being desperate for your money you know, <laughs> is kind of unusual. Um, and like, you know, the festival does not make a profit yet. So maybe maybe it's not the greatest business decision that I've ever made. Um, but I also, you know, our, our level of production and the, the scope of what we do just costs a lot of money and especially in of you course. Know, uh, Salem. But, um, but that's not the point. The point of the festival is not to just like turn a buck. It's to be a statement. It's to, um, you know, uh, reinforce you know as i said people's fears and um you know i think that it's it's there's sort of an authenticity that's 
vacant from capitalism intentionally you know that's that's not <laughs> the point of capitalism is not to tell the truth um uh, about all different kinds of things and so i think that you know if if we can maintain you know because i'm quite honestly disrespectful back <laughs> oh no you definitely people. are but you, you definitely <laughs> yeah. are but but I, I think it's warranted like you get like a you know no one comes and just says hey you know, if it was a, hey, you know, I didn't think this is what I was going to be getting by coming here. You know, I just wanted you to know, like, this makes me uncomfortable. I'm leaving. You never get that. You get people yeah. that, like, that drop as many slurs about you as they can possibly think about, <laughs> you know, yeah. without even knowing you. Right. And yeah. it's just like, uh... <laughs> and And so it's, you know, I... For me, I mean, everyone has different opinions about politics. Um, but for me, the the line for the festival and the line for me personally is when it comes to your political beliefs or uh, or your you know your stance as um, being one that needs to vote on the rights of others. Uh, that's ultimately where I draw the line. Where it's like, no, yep. if 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 you want to put someone else's rights on the ballot then that's fucked up and the end of conversation. Like there's no, yep. there's no moving forward. You want to talk about healthcare. You want to talk about how we deal with climate change. Uh, you know, all these things, let's have that conversation. I'm willing to respect anyone based on their views. But when it comes to, um, you know, being willing or, or forcefully trying to make so voting for things that affect other people but not you is is you know where i draw the line and and uh being you know a queer person myself and just looking at the landscape of of any kind of event really about you know the lack of um spaces where you know you feel welcome um and especially in the, in the horror sort of community the convention world not to say that any any conventions that i'm aware of are you know hostile to to queer groups or people or co of color but they do lack that perspective and sort of yes. that view and so that's not really in their mind um and uh i think that uh by us being vocal you know we're we're also in a way letting people know that it's a safe safe a safe space for people who um you know, would like to go to an event where they, where it's explicit that queer people are welcome, that people of color, uh, and you know, women we want to elevate everyone's voices uh, that are, that are often overlooked. Um, and so, part of uh, sort of our our social media presence is, you know, of course performative for for many reasons, but one of the functions is to just signal to everyone that. Look, this behavior is not tolerated. Um, you know, the space is 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 for you. It's for people who feel like they're they're um, you know being targeted uh, by groups. Right, and and you know, as 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 you know, and I know, being in any sort of group that is marginalized and subverted by voting and by large groups of other very vocal people you don't often feel comfortable enough speaking up yourself. So if you're able to be a voice for them, you know, for the people you want to feel welcome so they can look and go, oh, now I know that if I show up and somebody says something like that to me for how I dress or how I look or what I say, no one running this is going to tolerate that. 
that's an incredible message to put forward. And it's going to attract, you know, other people who will feel the same way too. So even if, um, you know, because when it comes to the festival, it's really just, just a small handful of people. Like it's, it's, it's Jess and I throughout the year. Um, right. And then as, the, as it gets closer, you know, we, we involve more people and then, you know, the volunteers during the event, but, um, but it is very endearing to me to see the type of people that we attract and the sense of ownership that everyone feels with the festival and how, you know, that I don't question for a second that if someone was being mistreated, um, you know, that we weren't aware of, that the audience would not <laughs> put up with it. Um, and and, and so, that's the other th that's the other cool thing, you know, is you say it, you, know, you think all the way back to like why Salem is, is popular in Halloween time. And, you know, it comes back to, you know, a whole bunch of women being, you know, misunderstood and marginalized and killed you know because of weird societal superstitions and all this other weird stuff why wouldn't anyone think that the thing you know no one today is trying to say that it was right that that was done so why wouldn't you think that a festival you know in a city where that's kind of why we're getting together it's like a twofold it's a catharsis over understanding that okay the city is popular because some white people a really long time ago did some awful shit yeah. Um, you know, but also it's brought together. It, it's kind of regrown into a place of acceptance for any marginalized person. You know, it's a place where Halloween time in general and Salem in general is a place where it doesn't matter what your odd thing is. You're accepted here. You know, if you like to dress different, if you like to, you know, act different, if you like to sing different, whatever it is, you're accepted. And what I love about your festival is for the first time in my life of going to Salem and understanding Halloween, it seemed to be the glue that pulled the whole city together. And I know that maybe from where you're standing, it might not feel that way, but from a, like an advertising standpoint, it's like, I can just tell people go to Salem horror fest. You're going to be able to find a way to know everything that's going on in Salem. You're going to tell them about the haunted house on the wharf that's happening an hour before your movie. You know, you're going to, it's like gelling all the stuff that was kind of, kind of because of the way the city's, laid out it was kind of hodgepodging it all over the place and now it's like a hub to get around everywhere and and i really like how it's boosted up and lifted everything else going on especially for me as someone that just wants to know everything that's going on in one place and i know mm -hmm. you must have dealt with difficulty with the city because the city has always had a weird imposter syndrome about how much they want to lean into the, the horror side and the Halloween side, even though it's such a big draw for them for tourism money, you know, the, there was, a, when I was growing up, there was a big thing where they wanted to change the mascot of the high school and they wanted to take the witch logo down from stuff. And, you know, so it's, it's really good to turn something that could become like a, a Cleveland Indians kind of debacle, you know, where everyone's like, well, this is kind of an old fashioned like sour spot. Like let's just eradicate it and make it not part of our image anymore. And to turn it into an image of no shit that went down in the past was wrong, but we've turned it into this like celebration of acceptance. And I think that's so damn cool. Yeah. And so like the, the image of the witch, you know, is, is sort of this projection of a monster on you know, put up on, you know, this marginalized group of people and has just be, turned into this commodification of, of, you know, atrocities. Um, but 
you know, that's kind of how the function of monsters, you know, work. Like the Frankenstein's monster and all, you know, um, the zombies are all representative of something. And so with the festival, it's, it's, I think with horror, it's a way to acknowledge the history without exploiting it. And, but uh, by using the symbols of horror, it allows for the conversation to be had about, you know, their function. Um, I think Paranorman is a great film. For this. Oh yeah, uh, it's you know it's it's very much it's pretty much about you know the the balance between um, you know the history uh, you know that some some terrible things that happened in the past and the uh, the Halloween economy <laughs> and so that's something that's been a, a struggle for Salem for a long time and then of course people the rest of the year like I'm sick of hearing about Halloween like there's these other things um, going back to sort of this the spirit of Salem I think one other one other angle about Salem that's unique that I think um, helps foster this like really accepting you know warm community of of outsiders or, or just unique people in general is that it's also just historically a, 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 a very popular port um, yes. city port it was the second Salem was the, the second uh, largest city in the nation um for a long time and all the trade would come through here and so you know even in our history we would have um the people and products from all over the world come here so we'd have the spice trade and um you know tea and uh literature and music um all come through here and so it's kind of a way to experience the outside world and so i think of salem as sort of this revolving door of culture um and uh you know as the country had you know expanded and you know salem became smaller in the grand scheme of things i think that because of its history um it, it's diverse perspective on the world and you know later the you know the whole halloween party um, I think that it just naturally invites really creative minds and and from there has grown to be uh, you know a really vibrant creative economy when it comes to sort of the proliferation of like really great and diverse restaurants um, yes. to you know just uh, all the artists that are attracted you know to the city and, and it, it just continues to build from there but it all comes from, uh, I think just a, a, a cultural and historic sense of curiosity. Yeah, I'm so happy that you touched on that because growing up with my mother, who I told you, been the one that took me to all those movies. She's a history buff. She's the stop at every rock in the plaque with a plaque in the world, and we mm -hmm. spent the majority of our childhood basically focusing on Salem only um, because there was just so much history like that. Like you said, you know, you can in the same day be talking about, you know, the witch trials, the spice trade, um, the economy and uh, law system between Boston and Salem being yeah. like the two hubs of um, all the classic homes. You can talk about the, the fire and how a large portion of the city was rebuilt from the ground up. And you can see now, if you look at the way the homes were built, the line of demarcation from where that fire took place. Um, Parker Brothers originated in Salem. Yeah. You know, right. Right. It, it, there's just so many crazy things, and I I love that she 
was able to instill that sense of wonder in us because she spent so long focusing on things like that. She was able to complete our family tree lineage and link us to the Mayflower. Oh, wow. So we are, and there was a missing person like to, to complete the link. Cause my grandparents had tried to do it and get us in like a society, you know, cause it's just kind of cool. Right. You know, yeah. to like, be like, oh. but they were never able to find the piece. And she did enough research over like 30 years to find it and found our original homestead and found this cool stuff. So she learns all this. We get officially indoctrinated We're we're directly related to John Howland, who, if you ever read any Mayflower history is one of the only pilgrims they talk about because he was dumb enough to go up on the, deck of the mayflower during a storm and fall off and oh one of the one of the soldiers saved him and actually was court-martialed because they were steerage and he put the crew in danger saving him oh. so we, we shouldn't be here right and so we learn this and then go down to plymouth plantation on one of our history days like five or six years ago and we go around and you know, people are talking, you know, when they, they get into it the way like Renaissance fair people do. So they're all in character and they're talking to you. And my mother goes, well, my son here is a direct descendant of John Howland. And they go, John Howland, his house is right over here. And they literally had a guy playing him and wouldn't, you know what? He looked just like me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so yeah. him and I had a conversation and then we <laughs> go, go on the boat and they have, you know, a guy pretending to be like the captain, you know, um, and he's talking and my mom said, yeah, my son's directly related to John Howland. And he goes, well, son, I'm sorry, but you should be dead. <laughs> and he like knows the whole story. And it's just like, holy crap. Like it was so much fun. And I, I love the areas of Salem that get into that stuff too. You know, I, I love like that. We still have pioneer village over there and they integrate oh, that yeah. into, into Halloween and have people tell ghost stories at pioneer village and just any place you throw a rock around here, right. You hit history in it. It's it's so cool to have grown up in that and to see to see something that's trying to carry that on and not not shy away from, you know, the fact that, hey, the city is what it is, not because of all the great stuff that happened, but also because there were some missteps and we can learn from it. Um, and that that I think is something like you said, that horror points out. I mean, and, and I love that the genre is moving in that direction, um, you know, like like get out and us and, and, you know, films like that, that are, that are able to come out and go, Hey, you know, this genre can be used like it has been in the past to really point some stuff out um, and kind of, kind of help us grow. Keep conversations alive. And, you know, as Roger Ebert said, the films were empathy machines, you know, as, as, uh, important as it is to, to see movies, to imagine ourselves and other people's positions um, and, and other people's shoes i think that with horror you're able to share another per or experience another person's fear because obviously we all have different experiences and different you know sets of privilege um and in our our fears are, are you know very different and i think one of the biggest sort of miscommunications or misunderstandings that come with the culture wars today is sort of like well what's the big deal like what are you so worried about um, you know, and and uh, with horror, you can experience someone else's, you know, uh, actual fear and their experience and, and think, well, yeah, shit, if I was in that situation, I'd be scared as fuck, too. 
Um, so, so I think that 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 is that is a big function of just um, you know allowing people who, who share in that fear the catharsis to sort of experience it like you know on our on a track of a roller coaster, um, but also to, to broaden other other people's minds. Right. It it lets a person realize that you know they themselves you know, on the other side of the coin might not be villainous in their mind. Right. I don't think mm -hmm. too, I don't think that many people wake up in the morning and just believe, you know, Hey, I'm just going to be a complete piece of shit today. You know, what <laughs> right. I, mean? I don't think any, I don't, I don't think the majority, I think human beings in groups are that way just because in groups and mentality changes, it's right. It's all of a sudden showing each other up and there's an animalistic thing built into that, that, you know, people in groups are dangerous is, is what it really comes down to. You can, you can sway them in good ways and you can sway them in bad ways, but an individual, I don't think wakes up and just thinks that they want to just completely ruin uh, a human being's life that day. But I think a lot of horror opens up the conversation in two directions. Cause I, I find a lot of people that I know that are very conservative that, you know, have some pretty gross viewpoints on some stuff. Um, that kind of fall into that category of, you know, you know, voting against people's rights and stuff that it always boggles my mind, but also are crazy horror fans. And I've seen recently even movies like Get Out and Us opening them up to go, oh, crap. Like you see that start, they start to realize because the movies are good about not just fully condemning, but also giving humanity to the other side. And they sit there and go, shit, am I being that way? I loved how Get Out like posited that the villains of that movie were not, you know, your crazy over conservative grandfather, but your liberal grandfather who's trying way too hard and overcompensating <laughs> way too much and realizes that it's, it's um, pride and lusting to be like something else is, can be just as racist and wrong as wanting it destroyed. And oh, it's, yeah. it's so ballsy of a, friggin' movie and an idea to put out there because there's no viewpoint leading up to that movie where you can come out and not feel like you didn't have a lens, like a, a light a magnifying glass put on you at one point. There's no one is left un, unpointed at. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Everybody, everybody has been one of the villainous characters in that movie at one point just trying to be nice, you know? And it, it's mm -hmm. just so insane to me. And that, that's what I like about it is it's, it doesn't just have to be one-sided. If you're, if you're there for the rights of humans, you're pretty good in my book, you know, exactly. and, yeah. and it's, it's when you allow for you're you're either turned a blind eye to people who are not, or outwardly think that you're right in not wanting someone else to do well. That just bothers me. Yeah. And pers just persecution of any kind. Yeah, the I don't care if I'm doing well, I care if this other person is doing worse is is a sick viewpoint in my mind. It really is. And, and it's really bizarre because in this moment, I mean, you know, like gun rights have, have always been, well, not always. I think that uh, for for a large part of our history, uh, sort of the, the Second Amendment was viewed fairly reasonably. Um, but I forget what what happened but it, it seems like maybe like the 70s or 80s or the the view and like the uh, sort of um, mission of the NRA was really to fetishize, you know, these guns and expand the concept of what the, the Second Amendment says. And of course, the, the guns themselves have evolved over time. Um, 
but the the obsession of about gun rights um, has always been really bizarre to me. But then you see, typically the the same people who um, are so passionate about gun rights, um, you know, and even doubly so after a school shooting, like you know, everyone gets really oh, they're yeah. gonna come to take why our guns that, away now. Why is that the point where you double down? Like, why can't you at least be compassionate for human life then? Like, because yeah. because sometimes you can listen and go, you know, there's some good points in what this person is trying to say. Why are you using this as the point to talk about them? Like, step back for a minute. Do not try to make me think that you're OK with dead kids. You yeah. know, well, I, <laughs> like I think it's, I think part of it is a, is this like subconscious acknowledgement that that the the problem, the level of access to guns that we have is not really good. So if this conversation is had, it doesn't bode well for the AK-47 I have at home or the multiple right. you know, ones. Um, but it's interesting now, too, because the the whole liberate movement of like, uh, you know, it's uh, it's my my right to infect you. Um, uh, I, I see it very like the, the sort of same mentality of like the the sort of um, prescribing their own sort of civil rights movement based on not who they are or who they were born as you know born to be but um, you know things they choose that happen to both be things that are deadly to others <laughs> that it's like this is a very strange civil rights movement that you're you're fighting for the right to um, you know, to to kill, you know, or 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 to participate in the you know increase of likelihood of people dying from from your, um, you know, your beliefs is just very strange. And then you know the the counter argument to, um, to oftentimes counter argument to advocating advocating for equal rights. Um, is uh, or or calling out the sort of bigoted behavior is or, oh well you're just being bigoted you know to me because of my beliefs and it's like well <laughs> we're fighting well, for I, right rights of people as they are. And... I love the idea that you know that they use the well we didn't shut the world down when the AIDS crisis came around and oh. it's like oh do you want to open that freaking Pandora's mm -hmm. box up because mm -hmm. <laughs> because. The, are, are you saying that we handled that well? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, right. or or like anything else. Oh, there's this this you know more people die of cancer, more people die of heart disease, and this and that. And it's like, well, yeah, but if heart disease was a brand new thing that yes. just cropped up, yes. don't we we you know if we have the power to nip it in the bud, then we should. <laughs> so and, like, and again, you know, people get into well, I just think they're politicizing it as a way to control us. It's like you know what. Okay, fine, conspiracy nut. Maybe they are, but are you safe? Are you alive right now? Are you sick? Like, can, just thank somebody that you're not. Yeah. <laughs> like, for Christ's well, I sake. I don't know anyone who wants this. Like, it's not good. Like, everyone's, uh, you know, income is affected. And, um, you know, and, you know, it is true that, you know, some of the freedoms that we take for granted are on the back burner right now. Oh, um, yeah. You know, <laughs> but but that's not the point the point isn't like no one wants to you know muzzle ourselves in this way um but 
specifically the opposite. Like the reason we're we're doing all this is so we can get through it the fastest, so we can go back to getting our nails done. <laughs> but you know, and everything else, it's just very bizarre to think like we all want the same thing. Is just like you know, there's a, a segment of people who who want to do it in a way that is you know not to say that any any one strategy is like a silver bullet, but there is such thing as like most likely <laughs> uh, you know um, to you know most likely to work strategies or people who know the most information should be in charge <laughs> sort of right thing. and when, and and like I said before, when you're dealing with the masses and you're not dealing with the treatment of an individual. It's you got to be a lot more broad. You can't like because I get a lot of people telling me, oh, well, you know, I know that I wash my hands. So why should you tell me that I have to stay home? It's like, cool. I'm glad that you do. Thank you. You know what I mean? But I don't. Can you tell me for sure that everybody does? Right. Can you tell me for sure that everybody's going to get this information? Well, Well, then they're they're just ignorant and they shouldn't be allowed out. So how do you control that? Yeah, like, and why are you, you actively manipulating it <laughs> so the people like so you, they, you, increase it? You can't. Even right now, with all the laws and rules, you can't stop people from going out without a mask on. People are still going to get sick from people, but it's going to be significantly less. Yeah. I mean, so I wouldn't be going... sign of respect. I, I work in a 120-person company, and 25 of us come to work between two buildings, right? And the only reason for that is we build stuff and we have to stay open because we're essential. So we we take shifts on who's coming in and who isn't, you know, and just keep the keep the work flowing. It's hard, it's ridiculous, you know, but it's keeping us from not dying. I, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, I like because a lot of people go the, you know, Darwinism. Well Darwinism is fine, you know, just let let the idiots go out there. It's like that's the problem. They're not hurting themselves. <laughs> they're bringing it home and making their family sick and then I'm getting sick. Yes. And and then I get the people that say, well, then I'm not going to blame the guy who gave me the flu last year and I had to go to the ICU. It's like, and I'm not saying I'm blaming the person that makes me sick now. I'm not going to, if I get sick and I end up in the hospital, I'm not going to try to pinpoint the person who made me sick and prosecute them. I'm just right. saying, don't be a dick and stay home. Like, that's all right. I'm saying. <laughs> Let's reduce the likelihood of that happening. Oh, I, I love, I, I, I always want to make sure that when I, that's why I have the conversation before about what topics are good. Cause I never want to, you know, ease a guest into talking, but I know that you feel very strong and I share your views on this. So I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy that you wanted to talk because I think it's impossible to talk about what you do. And part of this show is to make sure more people hear about the horror fest. Right. Um, I want to make sure, you know, it's hard to talk about what you do without, without talking about this because, you know, people have actively tried to shut you down. So I, I think that that, that needs to be spoken out against that. I, I do not accept that. And I do not want any of these people thinking that I'm okay with that. (laughs) That's very important to me. When we, when we had to leave the visitor center, it was, you know, you know, the, the, the press report, all the headlines were, you know, the Salem Visitor Center, you know, Salem Wharf has got kicked out of the Salem Visitor Center. In fact, that wasn't actually what happened. It was that we were t- we were basically given an ultimatum. Yes. Um, and we chose, you know, there was either you stop criticizing the president or you can't hold your event here. 
Um, and it was like, well, and this was like just a few, like three days before we were to open. And, uh, and I, I just remember being like, well, let's talk tomorrow and thinking, I can't in any good conscience, like, what, like sell out, no, my yeah. audience, the mission of the festival, like there's no, there's only one choice here. And it's to say that if we can't, you know, be vocal and, you know, use our first amendment rights, then we'll figure it out. <laughs> but again, there's and, all the and, systems and the in city, place. Are... And the city came and, and I mean, I'm, I mean, it was hard work, but it was great to see the outpouring of support after that. You know, yeah, very much so, and and we were able to find another venue, and um, and you know the the bridge bridge street was great to work with, um, but you know an another <laughs> reason why it's vital to be talking about these things is um you know especially now in this pandemic is that well obviously like elections matter <laughs> so yes so what we're living through could have been i mean i'm sure there's no, there's no way that it, you know it could have been uh prevented completely um most likely but you know the, the the response would have been different and here we are now with um school school groups and um motor coach uh businesses they've all canceled their trips to salem for the rest of the year uh, which is yep. a huge impact to the you know the economy and um, eighty percent uh, the businesses downtown eighty they receive eighty percent of their revenue for the annual revenue from October alone, so the oh. the October Halloween economy is really huge and really important, and so when we see you know all these states reopening and and most are you know said to be reopening too soon, <laughs> um, is is to say well this is going to come back and this looks like it's going to come back in October and be worse. And so, um, which, you know, for, for all the businesses in Salem, it's, it's a really scary situation. So, yeah, no, of course. And that brings me to a couple points. Anyone that is able to support a business in Salem, if you're listening to this, find a way, especially the independent ones, um, you know, I think the 99 and Applebee's and everyone will be fine, but you know, your, your local places downtown, if you can order out, if you can buy stuff online, please do. If you can do anything to support the horror fest, please do. I know that you had some really cool things um, in motion with bridge street there. I loved the idea of like those live, like themed um, movie showings. I think that's so cool. So I'm yeah. hoping that, I'm hoping that continues whenever the world opens back up because I think that's such a cool idea. Likewise, yeah. There's there's so much more that we want to do and grow, um, and you know things might be different this year, and our our initial vision might have to change, um, but it is opening the door for all you know so many other you know things that that I hadn't considered before, and so um, you know I think what's important for really anyone who owns a business is to you know get the complaining out of the way and just start thinking about innovating again i mean we all any business started you know uh, was initially a startup and had to be scrappy and resourceful and you know, figure out you know hone their their you know their product or their business model to get to you know a certain point and you know 
in a lot of ways, it kind of stinks to have to redo that again. But I think the businesses that are going to survive are the ones who kind of accept the reality. You kind of look at the world as it is and say, okay, well, some things need to change. And I think that, you know, with that uh, sort of brings this sort of creative thinking to think of, you know, other ways to do your business or, or, or new, you know, sort of um, lanes that your business can, can provide or you yourself as a service provider could could provide. And so I think that uh, for us, there, there are a lot of things that we could do differently. Um, even just the world being more um, uh, used to or more open to using, you know, things like Skype and Zoom um, and video on demand. I mean, I think a lot of people who just sort of are coasting along on, on, on certain behaviors and didn't need to be online as much or didn't, you know, online shopping or, you know, video conferencing. A lot of businesses are resistant to people working from home. Um, and I think that this has given, you know, the world an opportunity to see what that will look like. And so no matter, you know, once we get the vaccine, we, we will have had, you know, one or two years of people figuring out a whole other way of living. And so there is no back to normal, just that normal will be will be different. And I think um, some of the benefits of people getting used to things like, uh, you know, virtual um, for us, I think, is it, it levels the playing field in, in quite a way that um, I think that we'll be able to involve more people in the festival this year, both as you know, like celebrity guests or filmmakers, I think, um, you know, because it's if, if we're flying someone from California, it can cost a thousand dollars for that flight. The hotels yep. in Salem are four hundred dollars a night. You know, we have to feed them <laughs> um, and, you know, if they have appearance fees or whatnot. So, like, it is it, it, uh, transportation, you know, get the, the car service is very expensive to, to bring people um and but you know it's it's a really special experience that we provide and it's just really fun to have these people come to salem uh, i'm really proud of all the names that you know we were specifically responsible for for them hanging out in salem um but there are only so many of them that we're able to bring every year uh it's also you know everyone who We'd, we'd be interested in, in bringing to salem is also in high demand because it's october and there are yep. all, you know plenty of other events out there that 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 would you know who would like them to attend as well um so um i think there's going to be a lot of ways that we can get more people uh involved uh, and um than than we normally would so we're, we're trying to figure out what that looks like and and how that could work but uh i have my weekend pass my alexis pass to chattanooga film fest this weekend and i'm very interested to see um you know how they're how they're utilizing you know this opportunity and maybe a lot oh, of really so great cool. yeah it's gonna be fun i'm really looking forward to it and, and we're um are you are you attending no but I, i'd love to um that's so cool I'll, yeah i'll let you know how it goes uh, you know one of the great things i was never really much of a twitter person until you know recently and now yeah, I'm like, same, same this whole like this whole three-year shindig is what created my twitter account <laughs> yeah and and now i'm like this these this is my lunch my my cafeteria my school my school lunch cafeteria yes. this is my blockbuster this you know film twitter this whole thing where where you know um for all the shitty things that come with twitter and there are many um there are more 
things that I'm grateful for it right now. I, I do think that, um, you know, I've had some conversations and interactions with, with people that I never would have, and uh, it has given me a sense of community and just uh, a sense of camaraderie right now, because, you know, obviously we can't physically see anyone, and um, I honestly don't think I would survive this with, with or without them. Um, well, so no, to be ab absolutely. Go, continue your thoughts, sorry. I was just going to say, you know, for example, things like Joe Bob or, or the many different watch parties that, that have happened. Yes, that's exactly that, what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's it's really been um, a generally fun, you know, it's not just like making do with what you have. It's like, no, this is like genuinely fun. And um, to be able to share it with, with that many people who, uh, you know, like this, very much, I feel like right now, for, for for people like you and I, um, Twitter is like working at Blockbuster or just being like, you know, a, a mega renter, you know, member of a video rental right. store. It's just like we're constantly um, pursuing, looking for, currently watching and discussing, recommending, you know, all of the things that we love and miss about video rental stores in some way exists um, on Twitter. And I think, you know, like you said, the worst stuff that can come from Twitter, because there's a lot of it, it also represents this this community, this camaraderie where it puts, you know, your, you know, your highest celebrity and your, you know, everyday guy, you know, that never would have had an opportunity to interact or see each other's thoughts or what they're capable of. It puts you on an even playing field where you can throw something out there in the world that you know, might just be an offhanded comment of, hey, I'm really, I really like, you know, this movie Mike Flanagan made, you know, or whatever. And all of a sudden that guy might see it and retweet it or respond. And it's like, that's something that you'd normally have to go through a pay window just because of the fact that everybody cannot see and attend to everyone at a convention or something else. I'm not saying it makes them bad people, but all of a sudden there's this this level of connection with your fans. And as a fan, this level of connection with an artist or someone who inspires you that Twitter has allowed to happen that I it's been perfect for this pandemic because all of a sudden now, you know, a director who, you know, getting invited to a quarantine watch party would have to be, you know, working with the rest of their crazy schedule. And we're all just as, you know, locked down as everybody else. So now all of a sudden you can watch guardians of the galaxy Two with James Gunn in attendance. You can watch, a Kevin Smith film with Kevin Smith in attendance talking to you and answering your questions without having to pay, you know, uh, 500 bucks to attend. And and I yeah. think it's, it's really, and I don't think that that's diminishing that person's ability to make money off of what they're doing. I think it's only going to improve it. That's the same as like a little kid walking into their favorite baseball player and the player giving them a free autograph, you know, that's kids going to remember that forever. My, my brother told me as a, as a Z-list celebrity, you know, going to conventions and stuff, that one bad interaction you have with someone could make or break, you know, your whole public viewpoint. So you got to be on your A game, everyone you talk to, because they may have wanted to talk to you forever and you wouldn't even know. And I love that Twitter is allowing, you know, people, you know, it gives, it gives you a moment to react. It gives you a moment to think about what you want to say. And, I, I think a lot of people are using it to a crazy advantage. And like you said, it's also just a way to sit around and bullshit about stuff with people in a, 
in a fun, you know, school lunchroom or blockbuster kind of way. And I love it. Yeah, it's great. It's really casual. And, and uh, that, so this will be this weekend will be my first virtual film festival experience where um, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see because before it's been these one off things. And so I'm curious to see what a concentrated experience like that will be because you know as as we consider you know virtual options or you know avenues for for the festival not only just this year out of necessity but like even just to be able to add a layer of this moving forward um the thing that cannot be lost is the 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 sense of community and you know the forum for people to to meet others and interact and um you know i think that that is going to be the make or break it for for how we deal with virtual events because of course you know as, as trolls <laughs> has, has showed us that you know you can you can put a movie in everyone's living room um and make money and you know get get it seen um and uh you can have things shipped to your house um and you can uh see people you know live broadcasts you know on instagram or zoom or whatever um but the thing you can't uh the thing that is that is easiest to lose is, is a sense of um community and camaraderie so i i'm looking forward to see how that goes oh i can't i can't wait to hear about it please if you have a chance to share some thoughts i'd love to hear it um I was going to say it's I'm realizing now because this is I was really looking forward to this conversation and it did not disappoint. So I really appreciate it. Um, oh, but it's been, it, I, I got to get back to work. Um, so I was going to say uh, I wanted to give you a quick place to if you had any final thoughts on how this circles back to Blockbuster, because I love finding out it's great to talk to someone who's like life started in a similar place but it's like what are you doing today and how that was influenced by then and all that it's such a great story and i love the direction this went but if you have any thoughts to circle it back it's closing thoughts on that and also then please tell people about salem horror fest and tell people about what you do you know again so they know where to find it all sure well i think i just would emphasize you know what we we're just talking about um that all the things that we reminisce and um long for the sense of nostalgia when it comes to you know what movies were like or specifically having you know video rental stores um or more independent you know movie theaters you know these are things that are you know have gone um but if we distill what all those things represented and we really focus on what the experience gave us um i think you know we might not be able to open up a new video store and stay in business uh, but we can, um, you know, create a forum where people have, a, you know, a shared interest um, and compatible personalities to, you know, gather and, um, you know, talk and learn and, you know, just just feel comfortable and, and feel seen. So I think that, uh, you know, now we just got to figure out um, how to recreate that energy. And uh, it's my hope that, you know, we're... we're we're able to provide that with Salem Horror Fest. And um, in terms of what to look forward uh, to with uh, with us, I, I would say stay tuned for the beginning of June. We've got um, some announcements uh, to to come and, um, and we will be very much uh, wanting to hear from anyone uh, and everyone about um, 
what they're interested in because uh, there's an opportunity for us to do a lot more than, than what was previously you know, um, possible. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I hope that anyone listening to this just really does take advantage of the opportunity to get involved and let us know what they're passionate about. Um, so yeah, so you can find Salem Horror Fest, the, the website salemhorror.com, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you know, Salem Horror Fest, uh, and I'm uh, Encyclophobia on Twitter if you ever want to chat movies with me. Awesome. Well, Kay, thank you so much for uh, coming on. Um, this was this was an incredible conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I do too. It was really great. And, uh, and I love the concept of your podcast uh, and I'm really looking forward to, to listening to more because um, I, I do look back fondly on, on Blockbuster a lot and, and I do miss it. And, and it's, it's fun to, to re you know, to experience it again and to hear about the experience from other people because, you know, uh, for the last 20 years or whatever, I've only really been able to relive my own experience and, and think back to that. So to, to kind of crack open, um, you know, that, that worldview is just really exciting to, to hear other people's uh, experience working there. Awesome. That's what I'm trying to do. Just try get, have an outlet. Um, I didn't know that, uh, this was something that I wanted to do. And my, my wonderful brother told me three years ago, Hey, my fans want me to do a podcast. You and I should do the first episode. Little did I know um, he was trying to create an outlet for me. He made me a Patreon and he said, guess what? The podcast is yours. Have at it. Oh, that's now, awesome. And now I make four podcasts and a, I have a beer show that's like Hot Ones, the Spicy Wing show, but we drink beer and talk about random crap. And I just released a virtual song recording with a band in Ireland because, you know, this this guy that used to be afraid to talk in front of people. Now all I do is talk. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Good for you. I seriously good for you. I am I am uh, really truly in awe of the 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 level you know the, the content itself that you put out. But uh, you know truly the commitment is huge. Um, so so kudos to all you do because it's it's really impressive. Well, I, I appreciate that, and the same to you, man. And thank you for. Uh, Thank you for fighting the good fight because too many people give in to the pressure, like you said, of, of everything that's kind of created to created to keep people marginalized and to stop you from wanting to speak out if you want to be successful. And I think to lose that would be uh, would, would be a bummer, especially knowing that, you know, that would be losing, you know, part of what makes you you. Right. Because you spent your whole life having to fight for this kind of stuff. and Haven't we all so. Yeah, and we have the power, so it's exactly uh, if, we use, if if we use it and uh, we use it effectively, then we can make the change we want to see. That's awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on, and thank you all for listening and making this a talkbuster night or day or whenever you're listening. And please be kind. Rewind. Bye, guys. <laughs>